Hello, I'm Jeff Lester, and welcome to Wait, What? A comics and pop culture podcast coming to you from the not-so-solitary fortress that is WaitWhatPodcast.com. August is ending, September is near, and the awesome and wickedly smart Chloe Maviel joins Graham McMillan and I to gab about Judge Dredd, Pride Shaming, Tech Shenanigans, the 104th birthday of Jack Kirby, and a very long and very lively discussion about reality TV in general and Below Decks Mediterranean in particular. As always, we welcome your comments at waitwhatpodcast.com, your questions at waitwhatpodcast at gmail.com, and we invite you to look out for us on Twitter, Tumblr, Instagram, and Patreon. As always, we hope you enjoy, and thank you for listening. Jeff Lester! <laughs> Graham McMillan, hello! Hello! We are on a, uh, another whole audio setup again. This yes, time. I can I hear it. Mm-hmm. And I have this standalone microphone. And just let me tell you, I'm surprised this is working. <laughs> well, two things. One, um, I don't hear Chloe at all, so maybe it's not if she's been talking at the same time there. Um, be rude. Ah, there we go. Okay, and you guys sort of vaguely sound like you're calling from like a tunnel or a underground tank or. I'm sorry. <laughs> okay. All right. That's not a problem. Just want to let you know because there might be points where either I ask for clarification because I've missed it, or because I'm a total dunderhead. I'll leave it to you guys to decide which. So I will apologize to you, and I'll apologize to the listeners. Sorry, everyone. Aww. Chloe, do you have anything to say? Right right now? <laughs> <laughs> I, I just kind of thought it was really funny as long as Graham was apologizing. I was going to try and see if I, I could... I, uh... I apologize, and you're like, I, no, he apologized. What's the <laughs> My my attempts to corner Chloe are, are clearly going to go um, uh, awry if they <coughs> if they have not already. Um, she was dictated, not read. Oh, that's nice. <laughs> <laughs> wow. So, um, hey, run computer, and it's really exciting. Apart from the fact that when you get a new Mac, you can't plug anything into it. Yeah, it's it. You warned me. You warned me like a year ago. Yep. You're like, it's not getting a new laptop. Don't forget that they've changed all the plugs. And I knew this, and I had to get the laptop because my keyboard literally stopped working. Yep. And you know, this is my job. <laughs> but what I didn't realize is, even with the adapters, I can't fucking plug my other monitor into it. Oh. Uh... It's so old, Jeff. It's so old that oh. there is no adapter. Oh, there's no adapter for your monitor? Really? Yeah, it's so old. <laughs> I, it's also so old that I have roughly half the screen is dead pixels. Oh, cram. Okay, so are you going to get a new monitor as well? I guess I'll have to. Uh-huh, uh-huh. Uh, but all I'm going to say is I feel that traditionally I've got a new computer, and I've been like, I've got a new computer. It's fast. It's amazing. This is so great. Oh, look at this. It can do all this. And this time I'm literally like, why is the screen so fucking small? <laughs> <laughs> uh, 2021, the year of just complaining about shit. Mm-hmm. And how? And how? Uh, am- yes. Sorry for being ungrateful about getting a new computer and it being wonderful and yet me complaining. Sorry. Well, but is there are there things you do like about it? Because you do have it's one of the. I, I, well, 
The keys make a very soft clickety sound, which is very nice. Uh, yes. Also, the keys work. Yeah, right? I, okay. I yeah. Mm-hmm. How much I appreciate the keys working. <laughs> Jeff knows this, whatnot, and, and you guys don't. But my the keys on my old laptop actually stopped working, or at least one of them stopped working in December 2019. I just... And I decided that I would just, you know, get on with it. It'll be fine. They worked maybe half the time. Uh, and I would eventually, you know, put it in to get repaired. And then, you know, COVID happened and there was a lockdown. Yeah. And I didn't get around to it. And then, again, Jeff knows this again, whatnots don't. Uh then it got to the point where none of the vowels or the space bar <laughs> actually worked on a reliable basis. And that's when I had to buy a new computer. How, how long did you struggle with that before you got the new computer? Uh, about three weeks. <laughs> I, here's the thing. They, were, they really didn't work half the time or if I really like hit them. If I really hit oh, them. Oh, it was great because he, you, he, we sit just across from each other in our office working. And you'll hear him just clang, 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 trying to get the O to work. And then you go over and say, let me see if I can help. And then all of a sudden the computer says, I woke up. And then the whole thing just says, ooh. <laughs> It, 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 was, it was somewhat frustrating. And it really got to be bad when I was writing about the film Suicide Squad. Because, Jeff, I don't know if you know this, Suicide Squad has a lot of vowels. Yes, it really does. Once you said that, I'm like, oh, my God, what a nightmare. Yeah. It, like, it really was a problem when the U and the I and the E were working. <laughs> and I tried to suicide, but I'd be typing so quick, too quick to actually pay attention to what I was doing. And then autocorrect would just be like, did you say squid? No, I didn't say squid. Did you say sold? I didn't say sold either. And it was just like, no, okay, I, I have to buy something new. I have to I have to fix this. And then he got so angry that he ordered it for same-day delivery. I paid extra for same-day delivery and then spent a week and a half of not having time to set the thing up. The yes. stupidest thing. Uh, I am an idiot. <laughs> No, no, no! It it totally it totally happens. It totally it it does. I mean, I've sort of, you know, I I hate to say it, but I think I think when I got upgraded my Mac, it might have sat for a day or two. Like it, it it you know, in my case, it was just like okay, let me get it to the weekend, and then I didn't really you know have to go far beyond that. But it is it's also a little bit of a trip. Um, you know the. As as Graham knows, the number of things that I had that no longer worked in... Oh, yeah. I remember recording the podcast that first weekend. Yeah. Uh, like, we... I seem to remember we had to start over because something went wrong, like, after the fact. And we were yeah. like, oh, wait, no. Okay, hang on. Right. Yeah, yeah. I, I pray to God that Call Recorder really does decide, like, no, 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 just kidding, we'll... Okay, so I have a question, because I am now on, like, new computer, and I opened up Skype, and Skype is now telling me inside Skype that I can record this call. Oh, really? Yeah, is this new? Uh, It's new to me. I did not know that. Yeah, it's it's offering me a record button. What? Wow. Huh. I know, know, it's weird. Also, like, and I I do genuinely like this new computer. It is much faster. Mm -hmm. Uh, The keyboard, the keys work, you know. Mm -hmm. Mm-hmm. but I am weirdly weirded out by because I thought my my operating system was up to date in the old computer, but mm-hmm. clearly not because lots of things are different now. Yeah, 
Yeah. And it's that thing where you are, you're, you think like, oh, okay, I'm, I've got, you know, story X to write. Mm-hmm. You know, I, I can knock this out. And then you're opening something up and it's like, okay, but what if, do you want to autosave immediately? And you're like, what, why are you asking me this? What, what the fuck? <laughs> want to save the cloud? No, I don't fucking want to save the cloud. What, what is going on? And you get all these pop-ups where it's like, you need to set this up. Mm-hmm. And I genuinely like did spend about 10 minutes going, I don't know if I'm doing this right. Mm-hmm. I've forgotten how to use the, you know, it's the new version of the computer I've been using for years, but I've been using MacBooks for years, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. like more than a decade years. Right. And I honestly felt lost. And that was one of the moments where, and Jeff, you and I know this, Chloe does not know this yet, the moments where you realize that you're actually really old. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. No, exactly, exactly. Um, there, there's a number, you know, the thing that sucked for me was, um, when we, when we started, when we added the Tumblr feed to, to, for wait, what podcast? And I was like, oh, great. I'll start posting shit on Tumblr. And I'm like, who invented this godforsaken nightmare? And everyone and their dog, you know, used Tumblr. And I never heard anyone complain about it, but there was so much shit that was just, utterly anti-intuitive and no sets of instructions like it was it was almost as if i had missed the little intermediary app that yeah no no 100 like there are things where you're just like i think i know how this works because i'm not dumb mm-hmm. and it does and then you're like oh i guess i'm really dumb <laughs> but i mean for me i think one of the things that is that i can't complain about because in a way it's part of the reason that i have a career that makes money is that in part because of the iterative speed of so many programs and processes and and in part because there's so much money to be made on it like nobody really documents the shit out of you know they don't document their stuff it's like if you need to figure out what the hell is happening with like tumblr or like Google, Google's something that I just find absolutely um, outrageous to me. That most of their help stuff is like, uh, why don't you go to our Google group, you know? And it's like, everyone's reliant on the idea that, of course, you're going to sit and you're going to watch a YouTube video where somebody's going to explain to you, you know, how the hell to post Instagram stories or something. You know what I mean? And I'm... I, not only do I not want to spend my time doing that, but th- I think there's also something to that. When you're old, there, like, you stop getting things like, oh, because I kind of want to fuck around, you know, the whole fuck around and find out, like, oh, how does this work? Woo, what does this do? You know, it's like, let me get a goddamn story written and posted, you know? Um, yeah, it's it's insane. Yeah, yeah. I, I mean, oops, the sorry. Idea- are still using Tumblr. I've told Greg. We're, we're, to be fair, oh, we're not. We, like, I, I, I lost Graham, the will to live. I, I had been telling Graham. I was like, he was like, I, I can't, I can't leave the office yet. I have to do Tumblr. I was like, who the fuck is using Tumblr anymore? Who's doing it? Nobody. You want to know why? Because there's no more titties on there. No t- titty window. I, well, okay. Yeah. So, are you saying that we need to start posting more content to our OnlyFans, uh, Chloe, or... Jeff, remember the Overton window? It's been replaced by the Titty window. (laughs) (laughs) I'd like to remind you that the windows are open, so now someone has just heard you shouting about the Titty window. This neighborhood has heard me yelling about a lot of nonsense. (laughs) It's 
tame. This is normal. Now, are you guys boiling up there again? Or are you guys uh, like, no, it, not really, because it's only 80 degrees? It's it's warm, but like it's not 110 degrees. So that's great. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Like for real, we had we had really, really bad summer. And so like 80 odd degrees or whatever, it's like, like 85 degrees or something today. That's great. Like, well, I'll take it. Graham, you and I are really at opposite ends of the spectrum in complaining, I realize. I mean, there's so many other things, but good Lord. Haven't you had a really cold summer? Yes, and we've had sun sunlight, but I've made the mistake of complaining about my summer to you. Um, which is, which I, like, maybe that's the difference. You're like, you don't really complain about your situation. You just complain when other people complain about their situation. I'm not sure. I'm still trying. I'm still trying to modulate this. So, but so it's oh, just a theory. Wait, I'm complaining about you complaining. Is that what you're saying? Yeah, because you kind of whenever I say something like that, you always cut me off with a "Oh, don't even start. We're boiling up here," and I'm like. But I, I haven't seen the sun for like three weeks. If only I could stop seeing the sun, Jeff. You know, that kind of thing My that you do. part of this is Chloe literally nodding at me and being like, you do. You do, you do. <laughs> <laughs> well, I'm, gla- I'm glad for just a little bit of the external validation. That makes me feel uh, just heaps better. Heaps better. Um, you guys... Me. Sorry, I, I, you were going to say? I feel like I tried to segue, which is dumb, because I'm just like, no, oh. No, no. I want to know about your summer. Like, tell me tell me what you are, are complaining about right now. Oh, right now what we're complaining about? You know, it's a little warm in the house, but the sun did come out the last couple of days. And um, I will, I'll, I'll save it for after the podcast to avoid um, uh, boring everyone. But unsurprisingly, work was... Kind of hideous this week. I I saw your Twitter where you were basically saying that work was was the devil this week. So bad. It was so bad. That's not the first time you said that. No. Yeah. Exactly. Which which does raise you know concerns concerns Mm. in 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 this house as to how bad everything is for you to be honest. Well, I understand, and I thank thank you for that. Well, but the weird thing is, uh, ironically enough. both Thursday night and then kind of Friday, like even though I'd kind of been going through hell, Edie's like, you're really perky. And I'm like, I kind of am. Like I was literally like walking down the hall, singing to the pug. And um, I and- love that. <laughs> I, I would- love just the visual. You, do you remember there's a Bob Haney um, Brave and the Bold? Yes. Where, with the Teen Titans, where it's Batman takes this day? Yes. Yeah. That's what I'm imagining with you. I'm imagining how Jeff digs this day where, like, you're wandering around the house and you're like, sun is out, Pug is happy. Yeah, totally. Yep. Yep. Jeff digs this day. Jeff digs this day. Look at the lovely ladies and that fetching Pug. The thing that's kind of funny about uh, Remy, and I don't know why, but, I mean, he seems incredibly uncomfortable whenever I start dancing, which is what I'm used to ex- I'm used to that from people. I'm just really surprised that a dog, like, I'll do it, and he starts, he'll give me serious side eye. And um, there was one time I started singing, and he actually ran out of the room with his ears down, which was awesome, because you just, you can't, <laughs> you can't buy that kind of honest reaction. You know yeah, what I mean? You can't, also can't really come back from that either. No, you can't. Well, so like, you know, that, that's when you're like, 
maybe I wasn't singing well. Well, you know, but that's right. I, which exactly, I clearly was not, and yet I would normally make it a point maybe not to sing around other people. But of course, I'm like, oh, this is like can, what I'm, I, I've honestly thought about. Can I recreate that? Because I've I've sung around him a few other times where apparently it was not as out of control, and he just What's sort of looked. The one that made him run out of the room, or I don't, I don't even think that it was was anything. It might have been some sort of la di la di da da, you know, kind of thing. You know, some sort of like like yeah, he really he doesn't. Or he's a purist, and he's very much like you. You blew those five sixteenth notes, Stadio. (laughs) You're a square with a pair and no hair. Um. Um, what did I want to say? Oh, anyway, so singing to the dog, he runs out. Oh, so I was very perky and singing to the dog. And I think it was the sun. I think there was, even though I was sort of having a miserable week, at the second half of the week, I could literally at least, there was at least one lunch break. Or I I don't even think it was my lunch break, which people, please don't tell my employers. I just, I took my phone, phone with me and went outside and sat in the sun and whenever there was, you know, a job that came in via email, I'd go back in and do it and then go back out and sit out in the sun. And it was it was really nice. That is is what if I'm saying. Jeff's employers are listening. Jeff didn't say that. <laughs> exactly. He was in front of the computer the entire time yes. staring at his email waiting for something to come in. Yeah. Rubbing yeah. his hands together going, I can't wait to work. You know, and the thing is, is the they're like, great, we just need him to do that in the office again, and we're set. So it's like, <laughs> anyway, you know, I, so one thing I was thinking is I, we've got, you know, at least one, you know, planned topic on the table, but I realized we are recording this on Jack Kirby's 104th birthday, right? Is Jack Kirby's birthday? Yes. I really showed you the thing. For some reason, I thought that was from yesterday. Yeah. Happy birthday, Jack Kirby. You know, uh, weirdly, I thought it was yesterday as well for some reason. Hmm. He's a creator that means a lot to, to all three people on this call. Yes. And so I was just curious. Why? Let's talk about... E- you can you have a choice. Either, and I think this is super hard, shout out your current favorite Kirby work or... Shout out the most recent Kirby work that you read slash reread. Uh, okay, I, I I will I will start with this in order to buy both of you time. Uh, my favorite Kirby work right now is probably still the first issue of Omac. Oh yeah, yeah. Um, and the one I most recently reread was uh, the Demon. Which the de- the first issue of the demon it, again is like such a great first issue, yeah. And then it just doesn't live up to that, but it doesn't live up to that in such an entertaining way. <laughs> I have such I have such a thing about the demon, and I think I've said this before in the podcast where I'm convinced that a someone should just do a straight up demon revival mm-hmm. and play entirely straight because mm-hmm. the core concepts are great, or b someone should do it as the Venture Brothers. Yeah, you mentioned the Venture Brothers a few times before because um, the Radu the psychic. Mm-hmm. 100% feels like a Venture Brothers character. <laughs> and the idea of like a rhyming demon feels like a Venture Brothers joke. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You know? So I, I could I could see either of them. But I, yeah, uh, the demon. Is, I mean, again, it's all of that stuff is great, right? Like all of his 1970s stuff is absolutely great. Yeah, I think so. 
I mean, I definitely think so. How about you, Chloe? Do you know? I mean, the last uh, the last Kirby comic that I read was probably just poking around New Gods again. I mean, it's it's we 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 have the omnibus of a bunch of fourth world stuff just kind of sitting around, and it just travels like around <laughs> it travels around the office and the bedroom and, and the bathroom, and it's just something that I end up flipping through on a pretty regular basis because like that that period. Of, of Kirby just kind of going apeshit with uh, just just so many big ideas that hadn't been done before. Mm-hmm. And honestly, I, I'd read it just for the facial expressions on those characters because, I mean, honestly, the way he draws faces reminds me so much of the way he writes where everything is dramatic and everything has a thing to it. And you can see, like, the underlines and the bold lettering in the facial expressions and i just i i, I just lap that shit up it's yeah so- <laughs> yeah yeah i definitely i definitely get that it, there's something super charming about that i think i think you know it's tough with with favorites but considering that omac number one is maybe my it is just in my perennial top five you know, American comics of all time. I think I think it's really safe to say it. That's probably it. I I you know, Gr- Graham and I have both talked on the podcast about how it's kind of, it's just an unbeatable first issue. You know, I mean, I it is so good that even Kirby himself couldn't beat it. I think, which is, you know, kind of to his credit, really. Uh, and then the most recent thing is. Um, I've been reading Dingbat Love, uh, which is the Tomorrow's collection. Yeah, which I is... saw you posting about that earlier. Yeah, yeah. It it was on sale. That you know, um, Tomorrow's store was having a digital sale, and someone else had mentioned it, and I was like, "Oh shit, this is out! I've got I've I kind of have to get this." You know, there's stuff that I've wanted to see there, so. Today I read, you know, the entirety of um, True Divorce, was it True Divorce Stories? True Love Divorce Stories? What's it called? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think it is True Divorce Stories. Yeah, True, True Life Divorce. There's, so Ding Bat Love has True Life Divorce, um, Soul Love, and Ding Bats of Danger Street um, with also historical material that I mostly skipped over. And one of the things that I think is really very, very cool about this collection is... Um, true life divorce is um, shots that it it's the original pencils as you would expect, um, mm-hmm. and so except some of them have had oh no I was going to say some a, a few of them had some inking done but I don't think that's right so you're looking at stuff shot from pencils and then they went in and had it officially lettered so. It's like reading really readable. And then actually, that's what it is. The second story, the twin, looks like somebody started to do an inking pass on the first three pages. Vince Coletta, probably. And then it was called off. Yeah. And then what's amazing is there's the model, which has uh, a true life divorce story about a black couple in Harlem, it's actually missing two pages from the story, which is such a bummer. But apparently the, the, the talent, the management at DC liked it so much that they 
put it, they were going to make it the centerpiece of soul love, which, and this is what I think is super awesome, is um, John Cook and the Two Morrows gang, they actually reconstructed soul love. Like, they did up a cover, like, based on Kirby's cover sketches, and they oh. actually... They got Alex Ross to knock out the the cover illustration, and then um, Cook went through and pulled ads from Ebony Magazine from the same time and put it in there. And then they also got it. The work is also fully colored by modern colorists. So it's like a color collection, and in between they've got pictures of like. Um, you know, cigarette ads from Ebony and um, an article that was apparently, apparently John Cook's daughter wrote an essay for school about the Equal Rights Amendment. And he's like, it's really sad, but pretty much everything that, you know, was valid for 1971 is still the case about the Equal Rights Amendment. So it's kind of, it's a really great um, collection. Just the fact, like, I guess the final story, they end up not coloring. I don't know why, but it's, but that is, um, so that's why I've been reading. And Kirby's stuff is great. Like, Soul Love is, um, you know, I mean, it's, as, as, as they wrote about in the introductions, like, Kirby was writing, his goal was to try and, for true life divorce, he wanted to recruit other people that were still, you know, doing romance work, like um, Don Heck and, you know, John Romita, and and he would also had hoped to get some other writers on it, as he always kind of did with a lot of his stuff, and DC kind of made him do everything. So true life divorce is, um, you know, pretty good considering it's from a guy who's been like married happily married for like 38 years you know what i mean that's kirby's whole thing right Mm -hmm. kirby's whole thing was like i'm trying to i'm trying to find the new thing yeah maybe it's true life divorce maybe it's soul love maybe it's maybe it's you know dingbats of danger street which honestly is just like a dumb gang comic yeah exactly right but also commandy like i was thinking about commandy the other day because i am a nerd i guess um, <laughs> so, but it's so weird to think of, you know, DC's like, Planet of the Apes is doing well. Can you do something like that? And he's like, yeah, sure I can. And then he comes up with Commandy. Right. You know, like we, we were, you know, we, we've talked about what today's creators come up with in terms of, you know, their creator own work, mm-hmm. you know, or, or writing creator own, their non superhero genre work. And it feels like when they are going for a particular inspiration, they hew much closer to the inspiration. Mm. And one of the things that's great about Commandy is you can kind of see Planet of the Apes in there, mm-hmm. but also there's so much that just isn't Planet of the Apes. Oh, you know? yeah. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And, yeah. And it's so yeah. fun to see Kirby be like, okay, so when they want Planet of the Apes, they probably are talking about future apocalypse, sure, and maybe talking animals, but okay, I can do something with that. And then he just goes off. Yeah, like I, I want to see more of that. You know, like all the, all the guys who've got their Substack things. I, I want to, you know, I'm sure that uh, you know, Three Worlds, Three Moons, or Project Blue Book or whatever are going to be successful, right? I'm sure they're going to find an audience, but will they have that level of 
just weird out thereness where they're, they've taken the original idea and they've just run with it. That's what I'd like to see. Right. Right. You know, I I think that there's a good chance that they will, you know. Um yeah. Like, open, right? yeah, like uh like Al Ewing's We Only Find Them When They're Dead, you know, is 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 really kind of a um it's kind of a wacky thing. You know what yeah. I mean? You know, you can't really look at it and be like, oh, yeah, okay. I, you know, I see what he's doing here. You know what I mean? And it, which is great. I'm trying to think of a nice way of saying, yeah, but that's Al Ewing. Well, sure. You know I, mean? I feel yeah. like that's been like Grant Morrison really went far in this comic. Well, true, true. But I mean, I'm just saying, I, I also hope so. And I do say that, I, you know, I feel like it was just two weeks ago that I was kind of rolling my eyes on air about, about, the blue book or the is that's what it's yeah. called right yeah, um yeah which just sounds like deeply unappealing to me except that i appreciate the fact that tinian swears up and down that it's you know that it's his jam and he thinks a lot of people are going to be into it like and i I I appreciate that as opposed to him being like, yeah, I'm doing this Substack comic called Bantam, uh, who's about a man who dresses up as a giant rooster in Mog Hat City, and it's about you know his final war with his arch enemy. You know, it's he's not just like going with just like rearranging the letter, making anagrams of these characters. <laughs> I know, right? Foster. <laughs> Foster and. What cumin? <laughs> yeah. Anyway, uh, I really did try. The look of disdain on Chloe's face is really quite something. <laughs> the look of like you—you you didn't need to take it that far. Yeah, that—that that was. He's not wrong. Let's be perfectly honest. <laughs> um. Yeah, so I mean, I think I think that is the thing that is awesome about Kirby, and in fact, one of the things that's kind of, um, I, 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 I mean, you guys have done this officially for money, um, but you know, having Edie turn to me and be like, "So I just watched that Eternals trailer, and that's, you know, basically like, so that that was a comic book, and it's like that," and I'm like, uh. Oof. <laughs> You know, so and and that's actually one of the things that was kind of funny was trying to convey to her. It was like, yeah, no, I mean, Kirby came back to Marvel, but then for the most part, unless you know, yeah, you know, the, every everybody took place. I, in fact, I think Kurt Busiek had a Twitter thread from way back when where he was like, yeah, the Eternals are supposed to take place in their own universe. Like all these, all these books are supposed to all be in their own universes. And as exciting as it is for us to think about connecting the dots, that really runs against what Kirby was doing, you know? Well, and see also like the new gods, right? The new gods kind of works better when you think it's off in its own universe as well. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. You know, one Superman, sure. But like, you know, if you kind of can pretend that you like the justice league and everyone doesn't exist. Oh, which uh, I know that it drives you and all our listeners mad when I say I've read something that isn't out for a couple of weeks yet. But, <laughs> but for people reading Infinite Frontier, which I have now read all of, um, there is a really nice thing that I'm not going to spoil that I think manages to 
in story sort of redeem Darkseid as a villain. I don't I don't mean redeem Darkseid in the sense of like in a story idea of being like he's a good guy. Oh okay. I mean in the sense of you know, there have been some really shitty dark side stories. Yes. I'm gonna say something like that on a on a live recording, be like, oh no spoilers. I'm, I'm not saying what it is. Yet. I'm not saying what it is. Weeks ahead of time, there's it's, some dark I know, side yeah, shit. I know. I know. He's, he's in the, the comic before then. I, I understand that, but when somebody says, "Hey, dark side news," and you're like, "Just kidding, not gonna <laughs> tell you nothing. You gotta wait, plebs." Like, <laughs> maybe it's a dick move. Maybe, maybe. Ah, the the uh, it's great because the listeners can't even hear this yet because we're recording it live. Wait. But I know everyone's heart is singing the way that mine is singing at at Chloe's words. So <laughs> that's the point. Bring Chloe, Chloe onto the podcast so that she can... even when you can't say my name right. <laughs> <laughs> so that um, she can be the, the the voice of the audience. She could be the one telling me that I'm a dick, which is quite so hard. <laughs> I know it's kind of, and I was sure that it was going to be me, frankly. But that's. I, there will be time once uh, we get into the reality TV talk. I don't know if you're reading Infinite Frontier, um, I, but it, I I would recommend it. I genuinely would. I think the way it ends is really interesting and does some really smart shit. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, and I, I'd say any more would be spoiled, but I will say this: when that issue's out, we're going to talk about it. Oh, interesting. Okay. Yeah, man, I can't tell you how much I wish uh, DCUI was only three months behind instead yeah, of six, yeah. you know, because it's, it's, it's kind of, it's just, I'm so far backward. Whereas, like, I actually was kind of like, oh, shit, Heroes Reborn, the book that I totally wasn't going to pay for that I said I'd read it's when it got to Unlimited already. Yeah, right? So, so I right. kind of read the first two and i was like yeah that's like it's it's certainly worth reading for free you know i was gonna say did you also read it and go i'm glad i didn't pay for this (laughs) well on the one hand yes uh although i didn't necessarily hate it but i do have to say it's i'll be curious to see where the rest of it goes but it seems weirdly churlish to me so far you know in the sense like it feels weirdly pissy about dc about justice yeah i think so i think so i think there's something about you know there's the second issue which is kind of supposed to be the focus on hyperion and they do a lot of you know sort of fun semi-amalgamish touches like his jimmy olsen analog is peter parker you know and 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 there's stuff like that that's really, I guess, um, is really enjoyable. But there's also the weird infernal vibe of it. Like, there's just something... How do I put it? Like, I feel like, you know, our beloved Steve Englehart, you know, did the... Um, you know, kind of really pushed that Return of the Squadron Supreme on that parallel earth where Nelson Rockefeller is the president and really use them as a, um, an example of essentially the idea of corporate and government controlled superheroes and why 
they're bad. And and I think, how do I put it? I think what was really important as far as context goes there was it never really delved to the level of I felt like he was really taking the piss out of the Justice League. Maybe I'm wrong because one of the first things that he does in his first issue of Justice League is literally appear on panel and apologize, um, you know, but but Aaron's kind of got this weird, like, for me, I'm like, look, I, I got bad news. I don't know if you've been watching any of these Marvel movies, but like the Marvel Cinematic Universe is a bunch of government controlled corporate superheroes i don't understand like i'm i'm really not sure if aaron is playing some complicated deep shell game where his critique of the squadron supreme is a super buried critique of the mcu or what but it's but it i just found it kind of weirdly um just sour i you know in a way that i don't think that grant morrison stuff is comic yeah, 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 exactly. Like, I really got the sense it was kind of him being like, oh, I'm kind of doing a, you know, kind of doing a sort of Morrison riff. Like, uh, this is a little bit of, like, here's my attempt to do something like Multiversity. It seems to me to be the closest parallel. And it's just weirdly not that, I guess, you know? So. Yeah, I mean, I, I read, reread Multiversity this week. Actually, mm, really, uh, yeah, I, and multiversity is fun for want of a better way of putting it. Like, there's a sense of of playfulness, and there's a sense of invention through it, mm-hmm. and that that comes and goes depending on the issues, right? right. Like, the Superman issue is less fun. Pax, Pax Americana is a great comic, mm-hmm. but it's less fun. Mm-hmm. You know, something like Thunderworld or the Guidebook. The Guidebook is an amazingly fun issue. Right. Right. But throughout the whole thing, there is a sense of like being additive and being playful. Mm-hmm. Uh, and even though there is, you know, there are two separate Marvel analog worlds in Multiversity, mm-hmm. um, it doesn't feel like he's making fun or, or being pissy about Marvel at all. Right. You know? Mm-hmm. And Heroes Reborn feels like he's being pissy about the Justice League. Yeah. At least it and feels I'm like not, that I'm to not me. sure why either. Mm hmm. Mm-hmm. You know, yeah. It's weird. Like, I I read um, Chad Nevitt that replaced his Thor weekly newsletter with with a Heroes Reborn newsletter when it was yes. running, mm-hmm. and and so wrote about it weekly. And I read those, you know, significantly ahead of reading the issues myself. Yeah. Uh, but but he basically, like, I think he's more forgiving to the run than we were. But you could tell that even as someone who really likes Aaron's work, like he does. By the end of it, he was like, what is the point of this comic? Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, I, like I'm not sure what this is meant to achieve. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I should say, I think I've mentioned like that newsletter before in this podcast. Like, people should be subscribing to that newsletter. Yeah. It's super fun. Like, mm-hmm. even for someone who is a, a, a mild Thor fan, like me, right. mm-hmm. like, I just, he's just a smart writer writing about this stuff that he absolutely loves. In a way that is just incredibly entertaining and informative, even if you don't particularly love the source material. Yeah, yeah, I definitely agree. I, I've I've been on it, and in fact, it, there was a little bit where I think I read the first two issues of of his hero 
Arabs reborn coverage, and then I think more or less put it aside with the idea that I want at that point was like, yeah, I want to read these issues and then I'll go back and revisit it. Cause I was curious about, you know, what he was saying. And like you said, I think, I think Chad's a very um, forgiving critic in a, in a, in a good way. Um, it's just something that I'm aware that I'm, I'm far more fussy um, and cynical about. Chad doesn't like something. He will rip it in you asshole. Oh, he took. Well, yes, like, he like, will. Yeah. Like when he doesn't like something, he is far more brutal than you are. Yeah, yeah. That I mean, I think that's that's probably true. But I also feel like maybe he likes more things than I do. I don't know. But what, I don't know. Maybe he just likes different things, and he just writes tends to write about more things. It could be. I mean, it could be. It. And I, I definitely think there's that. You know. Which which might be like I noticed this when I was editing the podcast last week and when I was doing the show notes. For a, a drunk, for a dread episode, a dread volume that we liked, we just talked about what we hated for like two hours. You know, you said that in, you said that a few times while we were recording, and I don't really, it's funny because I don't have that sense of it, but I, I'm sure you're right. Um, it was weird, like, because we talk about it at the very end, we're like, these are our favorite stories, and it's the first time we've talked about them. <laughs> Well, I'm like half an hour talking about how much we hate in the year 2120, but we yeah. didn't talk about like you know, Bo Peeper, a story both of us said might be our favorite in the volume. Yes, yeah, no, it's totally true. Well, we are terrible. <laughs> Chloe is actually nodding. Uh, oh, about the fact that we're terrible. Well, that's yeah. good. Yeah, I think that's She's sensible. Sure, she did do it in the uh, probably. <laughs> like, wasn't that? You're really afraid well, of like I not. didn't commit to it. No, it was it was like sure, maybe. Mm-hmm. Maybe you're talking. Yeah. Yeah. To be fair, it is like there's a lot to complain about in that. <laughs> you know, <laughs> but, like, but we were both like, we like this volume and then genuinely we just talked about what was terrible. Well yeah, oh. that, sorry, I love you both, but that tracks. <laughs> <laughs> okay. As apparently the only one that's going to try to defend us. <laughs> Wait, what was that? I think I talked right over it. How does it feel when she says the truth about you, too? <laughs> yeah, no kidding. Clearly, I'm jumping up to my own defense rather than just uh, chortling. But, I, well, I, I think that kind of, what was that quote? Is it Tolstoy, Chekhov? The guy, you know, the... The, um, the guy all- all happy, yes, exactly. All happy families are the same. Um, all unhappy families are unique in their own way. Like, do you know, do you guys know that quote? Like, oh, oh yeah. No, I'll, I'll Where say, are you going, Jeff? No, I love that I'm like, we complain too much about a Judge Dredd comic, and you're like, as Tolstoy said. Yes. Well, as Chekhov or Tolstoy, and you're like, Star Trek's Chekhov? I'm like, no, Graham, Star Trek's Tolstoy. I was talking about Ensign Tolstoy. Graham's had Ensign Tolstoy. Was that the funniest joke? It actually would be pretty great. Uh, is, um, I, I do think that, that, like, when Dread stories click, you can be like, like, oh, this is this is, you know, the art's great, or this is a sort of clever twist, but I, I, you know, it, there's a reason why people have a tendency to, you know, I think being negative in your reviews can be easier because the flaws are easier to pull apart and discuss and are usually more meaningful, you know, 
And I think for myself, in volume 27, I was kind of having this aha moment of, at last, after doing this podcast for years, I'm starting to get a grasp on what I think is a good Dread story, and if there's a bad one, sort of why? Like, before, for the first five or nine volumes, if a story was bad, I'd be like, it's fatphobic or the art is bad, you know? And, and even when there were good stories, I was like, okay, why is this six-page story good, despite it being just a complete spoof of the carry-on films? You know what I mean? Like, so... so story. <laughs> so, so for me, I think that there was a lot of picking apart things that, that struck me as is off and and one of the things i thought was incredibly helpful as always is uh vord's uh comments on our blog where he talks about how spawny is very much a um take wagner's take on a real life event that i was not aware of did you know about it either no i did not okay so i bless you for thinking that i am knowledgeable in real world events well, I mean, it does it does make sense. You might have had other things on your mind back in the year 1997. So, but uh, yeah, I was graduating in 1997. Apparently. So, so sure, like I, I guess I was thinking about that. Yeah, right. So, I mean, you're uh, old, I, God, no, dude. Old. You're talking about Fugazi yesterday. <laughs> Fugazi's not old. Is it? No. Okay. No, so hold on. Let me let me let's let's have it let's have story time, children. So I've gotten I've gotten I, I felt I fell down a nostalgia hole for <coughs> my terrible, crusty, unwashed teenage dem. Right. And with that came basically Listening like, to punk bands of the nineteen nineties. No, yeah. listening to punk bands of like the early nineteen eighties. Mm-hmm. And it started off as the first Misfits album, which what? still fucking rules for anybody curious. <laughs> uh, but then we moved on to like I moved on to like Minor Threat and and all these other bands. And of course, Graham walks in while I'm making dinner, and I'm just bopping around listening to a uh, Waiting Room by Fugazi. Mm-hmm. And he comes in and he goes, "Oh, this song used to come on." <laughs> I was shitty, at the shitty and, nightclub I would go to when I was a student. Like, I hadn't heard that song in, like, 20 years, for real. And the only way I could get over not feeling like a tiny piss baby was to tell him how old he was. <laughs> <laughs> it was worth it. <laughs> I think that's a horrifying, like, glimpse into our dynamic no, it right there. it absolutely is. Yeah, no kidding, no <laughs> kidding. You you two are both made of stronger stuff. I would clearly be on the floor weeping in a fetal position <laughs> eight minutes into either of yours respective positions. The, the Freaky Friday scenario uh, is just not going to work out, I don't think. So, wow. Well, what? so, yeah. Hmm? You said that, and I have the strangest feeling that Chloe and I were talking about a Freaky Friday scenario involving you and someone this week. Oh. Something there was a Freaky Friday joke in there somewhere, so you know. Oh, at some point before the end of the episode, here's hoping that we remember what it is. Oh man! Anyway, 
Jeff, keep going. <laughs> yeah, right. Back to you, Jeff. Uh, so, so Chloe, like, even though you were much younger than we were, you, you basically, when you got into punk, you were listening to the old school stuff, or, I mean, I don't mean to sound glib, but as somebody who was never part of a, like, I don't know, you know, I, I mean, I could totally talk about how, how old I am, but like friends and I exchanged cassette tapes in high school, but it's not quite the same thing. You know what I mean? As being like, you know, a into punk. it. Yeah, as being like a punk hanging out with your punk friends and sitting there talking about like how punk you are, I guess. Yeah, a punk friend. Were you hanging out with those punk rockers again? Yeah, right. <laughs> no, one of the what, great regrets. What's really funny and weird what? is when Chloe says the bands that she saw when she was like 15. Right. And I'm like, how? what, how? Because <laughs> it's always fun that we're like around when we were 15. Yeah. Well, I oh, mean... Uh, the yeah. engine that just went past that might have had a car attached says hello. Yes. It was so loud. I was like, what <laughs> the... You guys are recording from a tunnel. I was right. I knew it. Um, we, have had, we have a weird thing happening. We live like... No, we don't live near, you know, downtown or anything. But we live close enough to, you know, relatively, you know, busy roads. Right. Uh, in the evenings, it has kind of become the Fast and the Furious Portland edition around here. Really? Yeah, like, we get incredible, like, every now and again. Everybody's car runs on vegetable oil and is eco-friendly, but apparently it's loud as balls. Oh, that makes sense. I mean, because I, I, I think diesel like, engines talk, are, talk to, yeah. like, 2 o'clock in the morning, and all of a sudden, there'll be, like, two cars zooming down the road. Yeah, yeah, that's... Well, you guys are still... I, I say still. You're around the corner from a bar or something, right? I have no idea if we're, it's... We're around the corner from several bars, yeah. Yeah, okay. And they... Did did the nightlife die off during the early days yeah. of the pandemic? And are, is it back now? or It, it did die back. Um, and then maybe like a month or two months ago, like it came roaring back. Right. It came roaring back to the point where the two of us would be like, why, why? It's Wednesday nights. Do you really want to be out partying so much that you're out on a Wednesday night? Yeah, it, it's very busy out there now. Wow. Wow. Yeah, it's really strange. But no, just just the last like month or so, it's it's been it's been fast and furious out there. Wow, that's that part I didn't expect. Although I don't know, maybe there's maybe there's something to be said for it. Like there's the street racing. I hope they're smuggling DVDs. Oh my god! Or is it DVD out. players? Which it was, what was it? Was DVD players it and was. VHS and, and I think VHS things. That you know we can but hope. <laughs> That would be the Portland thing. We're smuggling record players. Well, see, that's it. That's what. That's what I was like. Yeah, I'm like Portland. It's probably going to happen. Like they're they're like, oh yeah, we're smuggling reconstructed Japanese laser disc machines. You know. <laughs> what I love is that you make that joke, and I also believe that part of you is like, and I want one. Oh, I've always wanted one. Yeah, 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 yeah. No, <laughs> completely. Although, you know what I discovered recently, and this is getting even more off-topic than we normally do in this podcast? Oh, good lord. Um, I think we're very close to a second-hand store of cassette mixtapes. Holy shit! Are you serious? There is there is a store called The Mixtape, like a block away. Oh, yeah. That 
its window is genuinely like mixtapes. Oh my god, that's genius. Um, and I really hope that it is. And I'm also really happy that I don't have a cassette player anymore. Otherwise, I'd go in and be like, well, this looks interesting. Oh, totally. Totally. Yeah. Yeah. Holy crap. That'd be kind of awesome. For 17 <laughs> tracks. Wait, that is what? Papa number five. <laughs> Why are you obsessed with Papa number five? Because I got, I was, I've been, I've had the blues for a few days and so my brain has been uh, I've also been dealing with vertigo for three weeks and so at this point my brain has just shit the bed and it has tried compensating for that by just coming up with the dumbest rabbit holes to fall down I'm like Mambo number five is not just like a pop smash it's a Frankenstein story and Lou Vega is admitting that there's a little bit of Maria, a little bit of Erica, a little bit of Monica, a little bit of Monica. I yeah, I see it. I see it. And you know what's great because this this follow this was going to be my question. Once you mentioned Mambo Number Five, I'm like, okay, you guys have to tell me what is the movie franchise that you would take the sad, slow singing version of to put on the movie trailer for. And it sounds like it would be it would be Frankenstein. Like if Yarn Universe the Bride of Frankenstein for it's uh remake of Frankenstein. I love that. that where it's just like the, the the like direct to Hulu version of the Invisible Man that came out last year. Mm. Mm. Um it's gonna be that. It's going to be um uh, Alison Brie will yeah. be kidnapped by uh Frankenstein who will be played by um, John Hamm. John Hamm will play will play Victor Frankenstein. This is the best game of Mad Libs I've um, ever seen. It, it really is so far. He will be trying to bring his ex-wife, who died in tragic circumstances, back to life by using the body parts of women that he's meeting off the internet. And Alison Brie will have to escape. You're so excited right now, you're actually bouncing. Yeah. Okay, <laughs> But no, cause, never mind. I, wanna, I want Lou Vega to be Dr. Frankenstein, goddammit. No, he's I the mean, door. Okay, but his hat it has to still be really big, like in the video, because that's where he keeps his secrets. <laughs> oh, wow. I got it. <laughs> I'm, ver- I'm very impressed, uh, Chloe, at, at, at how protective you are of your creative vision. That was, uh, that was excellent. <laughs> Look, this is how you survive in Hollywood. Look, I did not sleep for three days to come up with this idea for nothing. Yeah, no oh, Okay, you want to hear my idea for nothing that I had at 5 a.m. when the pug tried to jump into the bed and I was still high from the night before? <laughs> yes, now I really want to hear it. Okay, and the great thing is, because this is a comics podcast, it's actually comic related. And when oh. I thought of it, I was like, holy shit. I've got to remember this. I've got to remember this so that I can mention it on the podcast. Okay. Hope you're both sitting down, right? We are. Parody comic, right? Title. V for Venn diagram. And it's a it's a it's a parody version of like V for Vendetta, 
but the character is like V, but he's also like Rorschach in that his face is actually different Venn diagrams that appear on his head, on his mask, and then in the middle is the emotion or the thing. And the story that came up in my head while I was trying to get back to sleep is it's a it's a parody of V for Vendetta, but also all it's in the future where everyone is more or less shackled to their phones, right? It's absolutely mandatory that you have a smartphone. It monitors you at all points and times and et cetera, et cetera. And there is the character, the mysterious V, who begins killing off these government officials in this sort of, you know, dystopian near future. And the guy who, the police guy who investigates it realizes that all of these government officials all were connected to this obscure comic book company, DC Comics, back in the 20th and 21st century, right? And so as he begins digging into it, he he begins hearing stories about this mysterious British author who'd been screwed over, and he thinks that maybe he is the mysterious V for Venn diagram. Oh, and I forgot the best part, which is the people who V all ends up killing, he ends up killing them with with variations of old internet memes. So, like, you've got, like, in sort of David Lloyd art, this, like, man sitting in his kitchen looking terrified, saying... Iken has cheeseburger? Question mark. And of course, then later he's found dead with like cheeseburgers just jammed into every crevice. You guys are so quiet. I pray to God that it's <laughs> muted. <laughs> attention. <laughs> I, I do have to say this, though. Um, I could be wrong, but I think you're literally describing Tom King's current Rorschach comic. And Brian gave on to Marcus Martin's private eye. Mm. Oh, yeah. Two of those together. That's the comic you're describing, which is kind of even greater. <laughs> that makes it all the better. Because all I'm saying is, knowing that, I feel there is a TV deal somewhere in your future for a streaming service that is probably Amazon, let's be honest. Yes, let's be honest, it probably is. You know, you're totally right. If I could just get a couple of things of this out, they'd be like, hey, yeah, it's kind of a... I mean, that's the thing. I don't think I'm ever going to beat V for Venn Diagram in a way. Like, you can't you can't drop that title, but you also kind of can't call it that because I think it's sort of... Um, I mean, again... I feel like we're actually listening to you going... Like, the creative process happening. It's kind of amazing. <laughs> I feel like you've discovered what pride shame is like. <laughs> wait, wait, wait. Tell me tell me more. Tell me more about that. Explain pride shame. Pride I'm, I'm doing it like three minutes before the Skype was To be fair, I feel like pride shame really ties into why you asked me to come on here. <laughs> <laughs> That's true. This is a good segue into talking about reality television. <laughs> oh, God, yes. Boop, boop. <laughs> boop, boop. And a certain amount of bang, bang as well. Did you, like, hit your knee on a desk or something? Or uh, You're forgetting that there are two people that talked around a very small desk here. So, yes. I did forget that. Yes. I Hi. actually... You didn't specify. I thought maybe one of you was standing on the other's shoulders. So, I mean... That was just... First, that was just for the first hour. Oh, okay. Well, then, I mean, come on. You guys didn't... How was I supposed to know? 
That's a good question. How were you supposed to know? I thought your psychic powers had kicked in. <laughs> I have to say, considering the stunned silence that followed V for Venn diagram, uh, <laughs> I, I think if I had had psychic powers, I would have manifested them by shutting the hell up. Um, <laughs> Jeff, I think it's a fun idea. It's just literally both of us were like, isn't he describing, like, what Tom King's doing in, in Rorschach? <laughs> yes and no. Yes and no. I mean, I don't know. I'm several episodes. I'm, I'm like, five, four, four okay, issues into okay. it. Okay, let me just tell you, that comic gets fucking weird. Oh, it's plenty fucking weird now. And, and... Oh, it gets weirder. You mm-hmm. haven't met Miller as a character in the comic yet. Oh, yeah. No, I, I get it. I get it. That was a choice. That was something that somebody decided to do. Frank Miller shows up. And then the next issue, it turns out Frank Miller is a brainwashed, paranoid assassin. Spectacular. I mean, that is great. That is great. Okay. I think that's awesome. Uh, do you like? Do you want me to spoil it? I'm, I'm assuming we're not actually recording, right? No, it, we okay. are recording. We're, we are live on okay. air. And no, I do not want you to spoil it because I have actually been enjoying reading it on DC Universe. Um, All I was going to say is there is a point where many people were upset that what they thought was a Tom King uh, insert was there. Yeah. And and what they thought the story was doing. And then the next issue does something that I think uh, hilariously shits on those concerns. I look forward to that. I do. Because I did think, you know, since I was several months behind, seeing what looked like a King analog pop up there was... um, Seemed like a good idea, I guess. You know, like I like I was kind of like, yeah, I could see that. It's not an analog. I'm saying, what happens next? Um, somewhat shits on the idea of Tom King's put himself in this as another insert to make himself look good. Right. No. Whereas I don't think that it would be that. So yeah, 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 yeah. Actually, I have this weird. We'll have to talk about them when I finish reading them. But you know. There's also the weird tie-in with Strange Avengers. Uh, yes, it, yeah. You know, the, the, the two of them are honestly, if you read them together, are fascinating and taken for what they arguably say about where Tom King's head was at when he's writing them. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. Like there's there's really interesting shit being done there. Yeah, yeah. I think so. I think so as well. Um, but but. We have some reality TV talk ahead of we, us. Okay. Before we go any further, whatnots, uh, you know that Chloe and I love watching shitty reality television. I've talked about it. Chloe's talked about it. You also know that Jeff doesn't watch reality television. He's talked about that before. In preparation for this episode. We decided to ruin his life. Yes. <laughs> Not just my life. Let me tell you. He's what life as well? Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yes. Okay, so first question. What did you actually watch? I actually watched the first four episodes of the first season of Below Deck's Mediterranean. I Oh, yes. Mediterranean. Oh, no, wait. Is, is Captain Sandy the, the, the captain of the first season? No, it's Captain Mark, I think. Oh, okay. Yeah. You missed so, out because Captain Sandy comes on in season two, and she's amazing. She's Amazing. Have you watched regular Below Decks? See, I thought this was regular Below Decks. The fucking yeah, Peacock it, it, interface. Yeah, I'm it, like... It's really confusing. Because there's Below Decks, there's Below Decks Mediterranean, and there's also Below Decks Sailing Yacht. 
Okay, I saw Below Deck Sailing Yacht, too. And so I was like, uh, you know, my thing was, I was kind of like, you know how real world was like named through the city in the seasons, you know? Sure, yeah. I kind of thought Below Decks Mediterranean was Below Decks, so... Yeah, exactly, and, and it's just like they rename it every year, but they go somewhere else. Yeah, That's exactly. not the case, they're different shows. Fuck me. Okay, well, but, thank they, God you guys are the Below Decks Masters. Below Decks Mediterranean? Yeah. Yeah. I, oh, I, okay, so you have seen uh, Chloe's True Love and also David Wilkins' True Love, Malia, in that case. Malia is uh, my queen. Uh, I don't think I... Wait. Uh, no. No, I don't think she's on. I don't think she's on the first season. First season is no, season six as well. No, 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 no. Chloe told me to watch season six, but season six was behind a paywall, um, and so oh, I was okay. like, "Fuck that! I'm not paying four bucks to." <laughs> to to be perfectly fair, that's the right response. <laughs> but but also, uh, to be, I do think that uh, a below next Mediterranean only really gets good with season two. And secondly, season six is just shocking in terms of um, the weird trashiness of it. It's it's impressive. Uh, I, I feel like I feel like you've almost missed, like you've almost watched like low grade below decks. <laughs> true insanity. But I'm curious as shit. What did you make of it? Well, okay. I basically spent a certain amount of time being like. A, oh man, I'm old. B, um, reality TV shows really have their tropes. Uh, Especially Blood X, which repeats the tropes basically every episode or every two episodes. You get the same, like, here's the tour around the boat. Here's the, you know, you see, you hit the same beat repeatedly. Yeah, but I'm, I just mean like um, it's it's really common in reality shows to do that thing where... Like, they play peppy music and do a time dissolve, you know, establishing shot. So, things like that, you know. Um, The the way they have new people emerge and the way they cut to do the reaction shot cuts and things like that. You know, it's it's just a variety of things. I found myself, because again, I thought I was watching something that you guys were the main you know it was the main thing and this sort of does bespeak the the yeah i'm getting old like i couldn't search the stupid peacock interface correctly you know um i I just i've i found it i found myself really being like man i just don't i i just don't groove with reality tv and i don't and i'm i was really worried about going into this conversation like i'm like am i just gonna end up being like sounding like a snob and my larger worry is also sort of like between this and our pride talk i'm like is it just chloe comes on and it immediately becomes the is jeff getting this because i don't think jeff is getting this episodes you know what i mean jeff no (laughs) (laughs) there's actually a pained luke oh no okay good i mean and i don't mean that in a bad way i just sort of mean like you know, just in that thing of like, oh, I just don't want to spend the whole hour that we end talking about below decks and me being just saying things like, but, but why do you like it? But, but why, <laughs> you know? But I, I mean, I, we've kind of talked about this before. Like part of it is, uh, 
part of it is schadenfreude, right? Mm-hmm. Where you're watching people make really dumb decisions. Mm-hmm. And you are not those people. So therefore, that's great. Right. Uh, and also, you know their dumb decisions. So also great. Because you're very much enjoying other people's misery. Right? But part of it is also, I think there's a horror element to below text, to be perfectly honest. <laughs> Because they're they're like they're terrible people, both the both the people who work on the boats and the people who hire the boats. Yes. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Right, they're all terrible people, for different reasons. But all of them are terrible. You wouldn't actually want to spend any time with any of these people, with the exception of Malia, who you're madly in love with. Yeah. Um, like, they're they're just it is like it's it's enjoying other people's misery, in a large part. <laughs> It's that, and it's also like, look, I've done a lot of, I, I, I'm, I'm just a big trash bag, and I've done a lot of big trash bag things in my life, and none of it has been caught on film in the way that their trash bag things have been caught on film. Sure, sure. That makes me feel so much better about my trash bag life. <laughs> uh, but... I, you know, I kind of want to sort of, you know, get across the idea that, like, we're not making an argument for the artistic merit of Below Decks. Absolutely not. It's, it's right? terrible. Because there is no artistic merit to Below Decks. That's not why you watch it. It's not, like, it's, it, you know, guilty pleasure is a terrible idea, but it's, it kind of falls into that inexplicable, no, I like it because it's shit. I like it because it makes me feel better about my trashy life. Sure. Yeah, no, and I think I... I think for for lack of a better term I I just I don't think that that really echoes with me. Like it's kind of weird like a dude who's, you know, one of his five favorite movies being the original Texas Chainsaw Massacre, like there's there's some very deep-seated need for me to address um people's capacity for being horrible to one another in sort of maybe outlandishly extreme ways that therefore you have an automatic built-in distancing from you know what i mean like like that's not what this is okay Uh but i i posed to you that perhaps this just was not the correct show have you ever have you ever seen a little a little television program that came on at some point in the early 2000s uh, called I'm with Busey. No. I I know it's a reality show with Gary Busey, right? Yes, the fuck it is. And <laughs> it's it's Gary Busey after he lost his shit and it is this poor like hyper Busey fan. I can't remember his name for the life of me. But he just spends a lot of time with Gary Busey, and it's all on camera. It's almost as good as the Anna Nicole Smith show, which I also have a massive boner for. Uh, <laughs> but but with Gary Busey, it's this dude being like, Gary, we can't do that. I don't know how to ride a bike. And Gary being like, I'm going to fucking teach you. And then he chases him with a machete. <laughs> and... And it's just like, you need to bike away now. You have to learn. And threatening to, like, rip out his endocrine system as an ins- like as a threat. Wow. Look, it, to be fair, it would get you to ride a bike. I saw it. Graham's like, as somebody who learned to lo- lo- ride a bike exactly through this method. <laughs> well, okay, I- so... 
you just need to go deeper. Just... But, okay, but but does he? Like, here's the thing, Jeff. Like, in all seriousness, we watch a lot of this shit. Right. right? We watch Below Decks. We watch, uh, like, Love Island, the, the British, you know... I was going to say, like, romancho, but that's, oh, again, that's not Stretch. what it is, right? Right, right. Um, you know, we watched Too Hot to Handle on Netflix. We watched The Circle on Netflix. Mm-hmm. You know, we watched RuPaul's Drag Race. America's Next Top Model, but especially the Makeover episodes. Yeah, you actually went to a point where you just watched the Makeover <laughs> episodes, which was great. Um, and there is, it's its own thing. Do you know what I mean? Like, it's it's not, I feel it's something that you... Uh, commit to the bit, for want of a better way of putting it. Right. Where, like, you get it or you don't. And and there's no... I don't mean that in any sort of, like, you don't... You just don't get it, Jeff. Well, you know, fuck you. I don't mean it like that at all. I just mean it in the sense of, well, I think you have a taste for it you don't. Well, coming, kind of coming back to, like, if you like... If you have a tendency to lean towards more, like, critical... Stuff that makes you think critically or um, that is considered more, like, quote-unquote, highbrow... Um, going and doing something like watching, uh, binge watching, in our case, uh, a bunch of reality TV, if you spend all day having to use your brain, and particularly, (laughs) (laughs) like, if you spend all day having to, like, think really, really hard about a bunch of shit, and particularly if you have to honestly use, like, a lot of critical thinking about pop culture, um... There, turn it, turn there is a joy of turning that off. There is a joy to not have to think critically. You don't have to think about, okay, but what's the through story? Or how does this relate to, um, how does this relate to the previous couple of episodes in terms of like the characters, characters, emotional development and, and story arcs and things like that, that all just gets dropped by the wayside and you kind of can turn your brain off and go, you know what? I understand that mo- that this is, you know, for all intents and purposes, nonfiction. But at the same time, it's just it's there's nothing to it. It is so vapid and surface level entertaining that really, for once, you don't want something highbrow. It can like you you don't have to worry about that that um, that pressure of having to keep up, if that makes sense. At there, least that's how there, I think. There is, a, there is a joy in, I mean, I think it's fair, safe to say that Chloe and I have never had a conversation about the semiotics of Love Island. Uh, right. No, man. You know, but it, but have we actually seriously, you know, talked to each other about how much of a shit Toby is to Chloe? Sure. Do you know what I mean? There's a character on this season named Chloe. He's not talking about me. <laughs> Yeah, Chloe on the show, not Chloe who is on the podcast. Although that would be even better if you were just taking the character's actions on the TV personally. Like, boy, that person's (laughs) trying to piss me off. I got to tell you, I don't know. It's like, just hold your tongue. Just hold your tongue. It's just a few more episodes. I'm not sure I can. They're just blatantly disrespecting me at this point. Um, But, But, you know, we don't... For all that we are aware of the tropes, and they're, you know, they're all the shows are basically just tropes. You know, like I've talked to you off off the podcast about um, Fuckboy Island and HBO, right, right. And I watched that, but throughout the whole thing, it didn't ring true. Not that any of these shows are true, right? They're all edited within an inch of their life, but Fuckboy Island didn't get the tropes right. Mm-hmm. It was simultaneously too aware of the tropes. And not able to actually portray them properly. 
So as a fan of this shit, I was watching it and being like, no, but wait. Yeah. No, you're, you've missed a bit. Like that, that I'm, I'm pulled out of the show because of it in a way that like Love Island, Jeff, is a daily show. Right. Love Island runs six days a week for eight weeks. Good God. Okay? And they run an hour at a time. You're making a time commitment if you're going to decide to watch all of Love Island, as we have. Right? Oof. Love Island is basically the same tropes repeated over and over again. I mean, there is not... There are quote-unquote twists, but the twists are just twists on the same tropes. Right. Right? It is literally, do the couples quote-unquote couple up together, do which means... Vibe? Uh, yeah, do they vibe in their, in their uh, parlance. Wow. But like, wow. you know, do they get on... And then how do we disrupt that? And we will disrupt that by introducing someone else into the villa they all share or doing something to make one or the other think that they're being unfaithful. That's it. Okay? And they managed to get like 60-odd episodes out of this. Mm-hmm. And, again, like, I'm aware they're doing it. Do you know what I mean? You're like, oh, you know, everyone's happy. They're going to be bringing in someone new. You know, no one's having a fight. Therefore, I know what they're about to do next. But it still works because, again, you kind of just buy into it. Like, you do switch off the part of your brain that otherwise would be like, wow, this is bullshit. <laughs> well, okay. So, so, so one, perhaps one of the reasons why reality TV doesn't necessarily grab me is... Like I said, there are levels of people being sort of terrible to each other that I just am not a fan of. And even yeah. in sort of a schadenfreude kind of sure, way. Yeah. But I also do wonder if, how do I put it, reality TV isn't watched for narrative purposes. Like, you well, know. But it is, right? Because you get caught up in the narrative of the of the show but it's a different type of narrative it's a soap opera right they transform people's lives into soap opera but it's soap opera that only works in very limited parameters uh-huh you're never actually going to see a character like go through genuine pain because right. they would edit that shit out mm-hmm. they would soften it so that all of a sudden you would get you know, a slowed down version of Wake Me Up Before You Go-Go. <laughs> like a 22-year-old in their bedroom and, you know, discovered on Instagram. Uh, which is a real thing. Which is a real thing. That we found out that's how Love Island actually selects its music. It oh. actually put open calls out for, can someone do a sad version of this song on and social it, media? Wow. And then social, and it's like, like Karma Chameleon. And like lots of kids are like, yeah, I can. And then they pick the one they like. Like that's how Love Island gets its music, which is... Kind of great and kind of horrifying at the same time. Um, Which but, is but, reality TV in a nutshell, exactly, right? Exactly, right? Yeah. But, um, but it is a narrative. It's just like an incredibly shaped narrative. Like, it's so formalized and so edited with an image of his life that that you only have emotions in in certain like within certain parameters. One of the things that, for all that I've said, like Chloe and I don't have like serious conversations about these shows. One of the things that Chloe and I have talked about a lot oh, about this, hard. no, but about this season of Love Island is 
there have been a couple of times where the producers are trying to manipulate characters to get a particular emotional reaction, and you can tell they've gone too far. Right. Like, especially with especially on the relationship type shows where like there are clearly there there is a reason why these people are on here, right? They are all um, like objectively very attractive. They could pick up anybody the fuck they want if they went out to a club on Saturday night. And yet here they are on Love Island. And and it really does come down to like there are a lot of people that have like problems with insecurity or problems with trust. Or problems with intimacy. And problems with intimacy. And so they have uh, people who come on the show and finally break down their barriers for one specific person. And then the producers throw a wrench in that because they sent, you know, a postcard picturing a picturing a, um, a screenshot from one of the CCTV cameras of like literally the wrong moment. Like her boyfriend kissed somebody else, but then in, like they caught a picture of it. And then, but it's a divide of all the context. Yeah, and then yeah. he pushes the girl away and is like, "No, stop! I want to be with you know this person." And all the girl sees is her boyfriend kissing somebody else. Right. And then it's the whole rigmarole. So it 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 is kind of like, I mean, fucked. But <laughs> but but it's one of those things where like you watch it and it's clear that even though the producers are editing it the best they can to simultaneously get the the drama of, oh my God, are so-and-so-and-so-and-so are going to break up. They're also trying to edit it so that they don't look like they are really fucking with this woman's like life. Mm-hmm. But they can't do it because it's very obvious that this cheap moment of like television has actually had an effect on her. Well, and so, so to me, like I was going to say, I, I feel that, like I said, the... To me, the appe- I wonder if the appeal of reality TV is, is that there are things that we it's the it's it's how do I put it? It's essentially a form of play, you know. I mean, which you could be like, oh yeah, all art is, but but in that, rather than trying to f- fulfill s- certain narrative needs. Uh, on the part of the audience, um, what the audience gets out of it isn't really about their narrative needs being fulfilled or met, um, but that it's about being able to clock what's real and what isn't. Like, for me, I feel that maybe in the 21st century reality tv and again this could be like a i'm over analytical and b just old but it seems to me that reality tv if it's used as a way in which you are looking at it and in your head constantly sort of pushing back against the narrative that's being presented that that being aware of oh like like so much of what you've talked about Graham is very much about the awareness of what the producers or the show creators are doing to yep. manipulate things mm-hmm. that i think is um different from the way that uh the three of us as um as as critics and fans of pop media tend to indulge in it 
Like you sort of go into a work with a kind of like they talk about that suspension of disbelief, you know, and then if if you you sort of try and feel out your reactions to the work, you know, it's like I like this, I don't like this, you know. People who've had to listen to me be like, "What's a good Judge Dredd story and why?" Like I know it when I read it, but what's in it, you know, what makes it that way? But I feel like a completely different set of of skills that might be very important in the twenty first century is a little bit of what is real and and what is the producers of media manipulating me you know what i mean like i feel like that is a need to to a, a, a scratch to be itched you know what i mean yeah i i think and this is me speaking for myself here and chloe can agree or disagree i think for people who watch a lot of this stuff it's not a conscious awareness it's a subconscious awareness which right. is why something fuck by island feels artificial in a way that something like love island doesn't Right or below decks, mm. you know, you know, uh, consciously, you know, intellectually that all of these things are very much constructed narratives, right? And I would push back on the idea that these aren't narratives. I think these are very much like narrative exercises. Um, but I think that you accept something that feels authentically reality TV, for want of a better way of putting it. Something that hews to the conventions and the tropes that you expect, right? Mm-hmm. And then if something breaks from those tropes, from the artificiality that I think you've come to expect, that's when your alarm bells go off. Mm-hmm. Or that's when my alarm bell- mm-hmm. bells went off. Yeah. You know, like, you, you didn't like love, uh, at Fuck by Aunt at all. No, I enjoyed it. Um, I enjoyed the first couple of episodes because it was just like, uh, it was a, it was like, just a hornier, like more stupid version of The Bachelor or The Bachelorette, yeah. I suppose, in this case. Um, and that's like I can get behind that. It's I, I'm here for like just the dumb, trashy TV. And then it started seeming like they were putting on a like purposefully putting on a play. And I can appreciate that for the camp factor uh, in a lot of other forms of media. But this one, it just rubbed me the wrong way, but perhaps that's because there really wasn't a likable, um, for lack of a better way of putting it, cast of characters. Yeah. There, there was nobody that was particularly likable. Well, the other thing about Fuckby Island in particular is, this is going to be a weird analogy, Fuckby Island felt like WandaVision. Yeah! It, in that you were aware that they were playing with genre tropes. And they clearly were intentionally playing with genre tropes. Like in Fuck by Islands, they, they, so the, the concept of the show is there's three women and they have to choose romantic partners. There are 24 guys and there are 12 quote-unquote nice guys and there are 12 fuckboys. And the fuckboys are there to win money. They're there to convince the woman that they're there for her and then at the end of the show, they will choose whether or not they want to be in the relationship or if they want $100,000, mm. Right. Mm-hmm. And you know it's like well you know kind of, but the thing is the women don't know and the the audiences know who's a nice guy and who's a fuckboy right and then when every episode three get eliminated and the three if if you're a nice guy and you get eliminated you go to the nice guy grotto which is like you know one of these generic houses that people in reality shows live in but the fuckboys go to Limbro. Which we're meant to believe. Which is hilarious. But, but we're meant to believe they're basically camping on the beach for the rest of the season. Mm-hmm. 
right? And that they have no food. They can only eat what they can catch. They can only eat coconuts and fish from the sea. Right? And that there's no, you know, there's no bed, there's no supplies. They have to, like, shit on the ground. And all of that's clearly not true, right? That, uh-huh. that breaks the compact that a reality show has because it's too much for you to buy into, uh-huh. right? But they never pay off that joke. Like, that joke never goes anywhere. They just stick to that joke and then it's done. Hmm. And for me, it reminded me of WandaVision because WandaVision never really paid off the idea that they were doing all TV shows. You know, it's like we're doing all TV shows and then you get to end of the show and you're like, okay, but why were you doing all TV shows? Right. And they're like, right. oh, look, it's, 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 you know, Agatha. Here's another vision. And you're like, yeah, but why were you doing all TV shows? Why were you doing all sitcoms? And they're like, just, oh, but look, it's, it's, it's got to tie into Doctor Strange. And it's the same thing. Yeah. Where they're trying to have it both ways of like, look how postmodern we are, but not actually doing anything with it. But not putting in the work for to to really carry through on the joke. And look, if you're gonna be camp and you're gonna be ridiculous, go full ham. If it otherwise it's just like other uh, there's such a difference between camp and cheesy and like corny and mm-hmm. Camp is, is 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 so fun and self-aware and and but you can also like loop back around into being it just exceptionally corny where it's no longer a joke it's just bad bad writing and bad like uh, bad editing in bad and bad editing yeah mm-hmm. uh, and and so like I do think there is a subconscious awareness or expectation on behalf of, again, of me and I think of Chloe, and honestly I think of most people who watch these shows on a regular basis, of what you're going to get from these shows, right? On Below Decks, it's you're going to get a crew that at some point will make absolutely appalling decisions in terms of interpersonal relationships, but you're also going to get just horrendous rich people abusing their privilege to the point where you know, the crew on, on Below Decks get given obscene tips, like genuinely yeah, obscene tips. Tipping, tipping a crew of people $25,000, like it's not a really a big deal. But if right. you watch Half Love Island, eventually you're like, they earn that money, or they get a tip and it's just $20,000, and you're like, wow, I can't believe they stiffed them like that, which is crazy, which is genuinely crazy, right? Mm-hmm. But but it's part of the trope of the show, Right. Or on Love Island, you you buy into the idea that, and again, it's a totally artificial idea that doesn't stand up to critical thinking, that some people are there for, quote-unquote, the right reasons, and some people are there because it's a television show. Like, that's insane. Like, that's genuinely insane. But it's, it's a line of thinking that is repeated enough in the show that if you watch enough of the show, you believe. You end up buying into it and being like, yeah, you know, so-and-so just wants to be there to be on a television show, whereas other so-and-so really is looking to find long-lasting love on this television show, but isn't thinking of it as a show at all. You know? Like, it's... I think you subconsciously are aware of these tropes and buy into these tropes, and honestly, kind of consciously buy into these tropes as well. But to the point where when you're given a narrative that is outside of those tropes... Uh, for intentionally or otherwise, like, oh, you know, is trying to, in, in Fuck Wildland's case, make fun of the tropes 
or you know another i can't even think of another show but like in another show where it just does them badly you're very aware of it and you're very aware that like it is not giving you the the sort of cheap thrill that you have come to expect from this hmm you thought about this deep <laughs> sorry no, yeah, exactly. Graham apologizes. I well, okay. So, but I mean, I don't necessarily think that the things that you're saying and the things that I'm saying are necessarily dissimilar. Like, I think we might. Well, I, I, I the one thing I really push back on is the idea that like these aren't narratives because I think, I think honestly, at their heart, that's exactly what they are. They're soap operas. Well, okay. The reality element completely is secondary to the soap opera yeah. element on all of these shows. Then why aren't you guys just watching soap operas? Shut up, Jeff! <laughs> <laughs> Honestly, because there's no soap operas that I find as entertaining. Okay. I, I, I you know, I, there's multiple reasons for that. Uh, soap operas are melodramatic in other ways. Uh, soap operas tend to be open-ended, whereas reality shows end. Mm-hmm. You know, That's true. Like for the Young and the Restless ran or is running for like a bajillion years or something but like you know love island makes you know i said love island you sort of buy in for like 60 hours but it's it then it's done right you know what I mean? like, like it does finish you get uh there's a closure clo- yeah you get it. some form of closure do you know what i mean like you you get mm-hmm. the, the climax. also they are they are different narratives in our soap opera you know, uh, you don't get the pleasure of voting someone off, seeing someone voted off the island. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Do you know what I mean? Like, they offer different narrative tropes. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. They're, they're not interchangeable. Mm-hmm. Just like that, you know, they're, they are they're different forms of narratives and they have different narrative expectations. Mm-hmm. So I don't think it's as simple as being like, you know, if you like Love Island, why aren't you watching EastEnders? You know, well, EastEnders. A doesn't feature enough, you know, random contests where the boys have to like wrestle the girls for in a mouse trap. In a mouse trap, God, that really was one, wasn't it? Um, <laughs> on a weekly basis. But also, um, you know, EastEnders is depressing as shit. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You know, like again, there's the artificiality of the reality shows. Ironically, is also a draw. Mm-hmm. You're never going to get too much of a downer, even when someone is going to talk about, and for some reason this is a regular thing in Below Decks, they have a family member who has died within the last six months, which comes up a lot in Below Decks for some reason. Wow. Is literally something that will be the focus of, you know, at most an episode, and then will be referenced in passing. You know, mm-hmm. I can't yeah. believe so-and-so said, maybe it's her brother, and then they'll move on. You know, you can't, for want of a better way of putting it, reality shows aren't allowed to be a downer. That goes yeah. against that goes against their their DNA. It's it like, and it's um, especially over the past year, uh, what with COVID and lockdowns and everything, it is a good way to um, to kind of step outside of that anxiety. And that stress and the, just the pressure and weight of everything and just go, 
okay, for the next hour, I don't have to worry about uh, the fact that Gavin's going back to school next week. I don't have to worry about the deadlines that I have tomorrow. I don't have to worry about any of this stuff. I can just think about, but is Liberty going to stay with Jake? And as stupid as that sounds, it's it's a relief because it's not a real problem. It's yeah. not a real problem that I need to worry about. It's something I get to I get to watch somebody else figure out their shit, and even their shit is so incredibly like minor, and it's shit that you worry about when you're like 21, right? You're like, oh no, I'm really hot and wearing a bikini, but is this guy gonna fancy me? You and say that, but too hot to handle had both of us oh, I know. basically throwing things in the air, going, "How are these people even alive?" Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Do you know what too hot to, hot to handle is about, Jeff? No. Too hot to handle is literally um, this: they think they're all on a dating show like Love Island, but then they're not allowed to fuck. They're not allowed to fuck, and these are apparently people that are like. If I go out tonight, it doesn't matter if I'm stopping by 7-Eleven for a slushy or if I'm going to the club, I'm coming home and I'm going to bang someone. To the point where they get told they're not to fuck and people are crying. People cry. It's my favorite thing. I feel like I feel so in tune with them. I get it. And they just and then they have to and every time they do something, anything outside of hand holding or a peck on the cheek. They lose money out of a pot that is shared at the end of the show. Yeah, there, there's they a there's a hundred thousand dollar prize money. Start with a hundred thousand dollars, and if you like, if you make out with somebody, guess what? You just lost three grand by kissing someone. I mean, if you fuck, you lose twenty. I have never been fucked so good. That <laughs> I would. $20,000 and every time it happened, Graham will tell you I just screamed <laughs> I just been throated and screamed <laughs> like, <laughs> did, did I break like, you Jeff? I think too hard time on my brain Jeff for real <laughs> like for real but again like you buy into like this level of, of soap opera, this level of narrative it's somewhere between soap opera and comedy and sitcom you know? Yeah. I, I mean, so this is... I'm just I, like... I, I, I'm i not actually trying to sell you on No, 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 no. And I know you're not. I know that you're not. I just think that it's kind of interesting. Because, again, in that same way, I'm like, okay, but, you know, kind of a, why doesn't it work for me? But it does work for you. You know, that kind of thing. And that's, you know, just... You also like all of the manga you read where you're like, it's uh, all about a man who gets off and people turning into tables. Uh, but he's also a Yakuza assassin. And I'm always like, is that real? And you're like, yes, and I've read 72 volumes of comicsology this week. At the first part of that, I legit thought you may have been talking about a Jinji Ito story. Yeah, no kidding. Like, yep. Like somebody who really gets off on, I guess what, can turn you into a table because I found this magic amulet. What's that? It's by Jinji Ito. Guess who's not surprised? It's me. It comes out in December. <laughs> Right, like it's you know that's your bag. Reality shows are my bag, and like never our bags shall meet. Yes, yeah, poor bags, our poor bags. Well, you know, bags I get with your bag. Naughty. <laughs> yeah, it is true. I gotta admit, like once we said that, I'm like, ooh, I hope we can get off this topic before well, too late. So, 
I mean, you know, the thing that's actually really funny is that listening to you guys talk about it is um, is is kind of a lot about like listening to us talk about superhero comics. You know, it, we don't have to have that conversation with one another. You know, or all three of us, because it's a shared shorthand and a shared knowledge. But, you know, in terms of it being like a really heavily circumscribed narrative with tropes that when they're not done right, you know, and yeah, you know, and, 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 and again, that idea of like, well, no, there is a narrative, even though what ends up happening is kind of exactly the same thing over and over and over again, you know, but it. Yes, yeah, exactly. Sure. It's it's exactly that, mm-hmm. right? Or for them, I'm like it's like dread, right? Yeah, yeah. Like like it's it's the same thing. Um, and honestly, weirdly enough, I feel like dread might be a better comparison because there's a sensational comedy to it. I've never felt so satisfied as I have about a conversation that includes possibly comparing Judge Dread to reality television. <laughs> I could just die. <laughs> Well, actually, so pride shaming was something that was mentioned sort of at the top of the hour, and then okay. I sort of figured right. that was going to be the lead in. Where were you going with that, Chloe, if you don't mind me asking, and how does it tie into those things? Oh, boy, Jeff, who knows? Um, <laughs> that was an hour ago. That was that was hour ago, Chloe. We are not the same. <laughs> <laughs> understood. Totally understood. It's, it's, um, I think it's something that, that a lot of, it's something that I've kind of grown out of, at least when it comes to like reality TV or for that matter, even bad comics or like, uh, like corny, super corny comics. And it's, you feel ashamed for how much you like it because it is considered bad. It's considered tacky. It's in some cases considered problematic, uh, but but also I think you know that on some level it's right. Like I'm thinking in particular about your love of uh, America's Nest Dumb Oh, or for that matter, Jeff, do you know what what we watched a lot of last weekend? Jackass. <gasps> oh really? Yeah. Like the old Jackass show, well the movies, but like you mm-hmm. know Johnny Knoxville. Um, but again, like that's the stuff that you know on some level is bad or like. You know, it's it's or at least it's not particularly good, maybe. But you still <laughs> like you have no, but you, Chloe, you have a genuine love for these shows. I do, I do. Even even as you yourself will talk about how shitty they are. Well, sure, because it's the um, uh, getting getting. Getting super armchair armchair psychology here. I had a lot of problem uh, problems with shame when I was younger, and especially when I got into uh, my late teens. I had a bunch of like life thing, different life things happen. It made me go, "Oh God, I've spent far too much time being like ashamed of liking certain things just for the image of other people." And instead, it became this like really new fun thing to fall madly in love and become really like stupid passionate about things that other people kind of find stupid, but that it doesn't matter because I like it and that's good enough. Mm -hmm. And I think reality TV is like that. I think comics are like that because it doesn't, it doesn't really matter because people can connect with you over, um, over your passion for something and they can enjoy your passion for something, uh, 
without sharing that love of the subject that you might be passionate about. And so uh, I ended up connecting with a lot of people like Graham over over certain certain shows and movies and stuff like that. Um, and otherwise, it, it just became a like, yeah, I'm still ashamed to to like this stuff because it is trash. I'm spending so much of my life watching this garbage and I'm supposed to be like a professional critic. <laughs> it's true. Like we still have the Underground Railroad on our to watch thing. And yet we have oh, watched yeah, no, like below smart, like there's so much smart TV that we and like smart movies that we have on our watch list and it just falls by the wayside because I got excited over finding the Anna Nicole Smith show. Like it's, and I'm really proud of that. Not just because like I finally found a way to just let my brain drain and not have to think about something, but it's something, something else fun that I can connect with people over. It doesn't always need to be this big ass serious conversation and God, that just feels so good. Like, <laughs> so, so pride shame is basically being really, really proud to just let go. Mm. Hmm. That's really funny because I, uh, I, I actually did tweet something really similar to this, and it says something probably about you know how how far the stick is up my butt. But I find myself over the last couple of years being very like, oh, man, I really don't care about this. And and kind of just being able to embrace that, you know, and I, I think that there's sort of what I worry about is, is that it, it seems a, like the more uh, ahedonic version of, of what you're talking about, where I find myself being like, yeah, I don't care about that. I don't care about that. I don't care about, like, kind of like, I'm just so relieved to not kind of it's give a shit or have an opinion about something. Thing. Like, I know it's the, it, uh, one's the opposite thing, but also the same thing. Right. Which is, say, like, you learn, you learn to be okay in your opinions. Right. Uh, get steady in it. Also, I had to, my dumbass had to Google a hedonic. <laughs> Sorry, oh. I was googling on my phone. <laughs> <laughs> but it, it's like it is. It is the same thing, right? Mm-hmm. It comes down to this is how I feel, and that's okay, and I'm like I'm cool with that, right? Well, Whether it's like you know, Chloe loves the Anna Nicole Smith show. Or you really could give less of a shit about what Spider-Man is doing now. Right. But I think for me, I guess, how do I put it? Like, I think that at least for myself, and that's where it could be um, uh, uh, much different, is I feel like there was a lot of stuff where I'm like, oh, yeah, I should... I should try that. I should under, you know, or I should understand this. Like my list of shoulds are, are very, are probably different in, in some ways, but Mm -hmm. I guess what I'm saying is, is that there is kind of a little bit of the, yeah, I don't, I'm, I'm never, I'm never going to like baseball and it's fine. You know, that kind of thing. It, it, and from American bastard. Right, right, exactly. You know, I just find that there's a lot of stuff where uh, I feel like just there's a lot of things that are kind of just dropping off me like a leper or something, where it's like, oh, I really like that thing. I don't really like it anymore. Great. 
what a relief. Great, you know? nice. I, I, I'm so excited to have one less thing to care about. And that sounds really weird and sarcastic, but it's not. It's just such a huge fucking relief. Um, and, and so I do get the idea of, like, um, you two as being very dialed in people for people who actually are paid to kind of be dialed into this stuff to be able to have something that you're passionate about that you don't have to be um you don't you don't i don't know quite how to describe it like it can all more or less be at the surface of it and that's fine you know what i mean like all of us we all talked about like our favorite you know kirby story and the fact that kirby's 104 years old today but like we're not really like oh you know and today's mark burnett's birthday he started off as a bodyguard and then invented survivor you know like i don't think that that what's oh yeah oh yeah 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 he was like some british sas guy came to hollywood was like a bodyguard to the stars or something. And I, I even want to say that maybe that Vin Diesel movie was roughly based on him. Maybe, I, you know, no, yeah, Mark right. Burnett steal, steal DVD <laughs> Rob Burnett was stealing DVDs and VHS. No, 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 no. What's the, what's the one like Navy what? seal nanny or no, no. The one where he's like watching the kids, but he's also got like, wait, what was it called? The pacifier? No, no. I, oh, wait. Maybe it is the pacifier. That sounds about right. They just looked it up. It's the Vin Diesel one where he has all of the children. That's it. That's what it's called. Why do I know that? Oh no! What? Experience. So, right. So I think that there's something to be said about the fact that this stuff all kind of like happens at a surface level. And maybe to the extent, maybe that's also part of the, like, we don't even, I mean, there's a few breakout reality show stars that people might track, but, but for the most part, unlike, you know, movie stars, they're kind of disposable you just sort of don't see them or think about them again until the inevitable reunion show or you know maybe they end up being super popular and they end up getting to host a spin-off show or something like that but you know what i'm saying like i just sort of generally think that like even the the cult of of prime tv you know where you get um people trying to break down like you know, what was David Chase really going for with The Sopranos? Or the way that we all sort of innately understand what a TV showrunner is for dramatic TV. You know, the reality show stuff seems relatively opaque in a lot of ways. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know, and therefore makes it a lot easier to just kind of digest on a surface level. And like I said, I really see why there would be kind of a fun need for that. But, you know, I I think for myself, anyway, reality TV, like I was going to talk about Def U, for example, which was something that we watched uh, on Netflix, Eddie and I, and we both liked it. And one of the things that we both liked about it was 
it was kind of like a documentary except with hot people hooking up you know what i mean like you got to learn a lot about the really fascinating layers to deaf culture in in something uh like at that school and yet you also got to see people kind of like smooch in a swimming pool but but what i also liked was for the most part there wasn't a lot of conflict you know what i mean like i feel like there's something that also for me may be so innately conflict averse that reality tv with its need to sort of push conflicts um ends up making me just inherently you know honestly my takeaway from this conversation jeff is that you have to watch sexy beasts on netflix which is a dating show where people dress up as monsters. Oh my god! I, I, <laughs> it's you, just, you really want to watch that uh, don't you? so badly. I can't, but I'm really disappointed because people have said it's a bit shit. Um, no, a dating show where people no, dress up as no. monsters. You can't see it. I'm covering his mouth. Uh, his mouth. <laughs> she, she actually was. She had and then covered my mouth. <laughs> Yeah, I, I can't finish the sentence after that. <laughs> the furry community rejoices, and other than that, no, it is. It's... Yeah, Sexy Beast is 100% like the furry, the furry bachelor. Right. Oh, good for them. I'm very happy for them, really. Yeah, part of me is like, I have to admit, I think I saw a preview of that, and that, that kind of seemed kind of great, you know, in that sense. Like, I'm, you know, you, Graham, had mentioned kind of the great British bake-off, or great British baking shows. It's known over here for stupid licensing reasons, I guess. And, and that it was sort of a more positive reality show. Um, mm-hmm. And I was like, oh, well, maybe we should try that. Maybe that would be a thing that would actually work for me. But, but I don't know. Like, I'm not... That, I think the other thing that's really hard also is, do you guys think of yourselves as competitive people? Do you, is there an aspect of the contest or the competition that runs throughout so much of these things? Okay. I would say neither of us are competitive unless we're playing Uno, in which case Chloe gets <laughs> hilariously, like, comedically competitive. However, <laughs> one time I beat her and she just looked at me and whispered, Bitches! <laughs> They're so good, though. They're super good, Chloe. I gotta say. <laughs> but no, like oh, we're no. like we're not there competitive. Was, there was a whole thing that the the competitiveness. It no shit. It really is only with the card, the children's card game Uno. I can't cope with it. There have been moments where I am gonna get my Mother of the Year award uh, trophy in the mail any day because I've had to explain to Gavin why I told Graham that this is why God doesn't love him. <laughs> what? When he plays a plus four on me. Oh, man. It's amazing. The, the smack talk is 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 real, but only in that only in that scenario. So, Which is to say, I don't think the competition element like matters to us. For example, um, on Love Island, I don't think either of us can care like who quote unquote wins the show, right? Yeah. Or on on the the um, too hard to handle. Neither of us cares who gets the money, right? We care about the the comedy of these two idiots could not stop for fucking for like two weeks, 
And so they've literally cost everyone twenty thousand dollars. Yeah, if nothing else, like if one of our favorite couples, quote unquote, uh, like wins part of a competition or wins a contest within the show or something like that. And like the girl jumps up into the guy's arms and he catches her and it's very cute. And we just look at each other and like, man, this would be us, but we like cake too much. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. So it's, it's not, it's not a competition thing, right? It's, it's literally, it is literally the weird, um, the like buying into the narrative. I mean, honestly, like, it's, it's, it's very, my, the reasons are very shallow, Jeff. God, I wish I could give you a better critical idea behind these shows, but I just like watching hot people have terrible things happen to them. Well, which is, which is fair enough, which is fair enough. I mean, I definitely watched more than my share of, again, sort of the proto-reality TV stuff, where it was just like, Stick a bunch of people in an apartment together. Oh, okay. They're not being really interesting. Let's get them really drunk. You know, kind of. Yeah. Thing. Uh, uh, we have we have literally four minutes before Skype was weird, and I would like to cede the floor to Chloe for those four minutes, purely to do something for David Wolken. Talk about your love for Malia on Below Decks Mediterranean. Okay, so here's the thing about Malia on Below Decks. There have been a lot of shitty people. I don't care which below deck season you go for. You can go for the regular one. You can go for Mediterranean. You can go for Sailing Yacht. I've watched them all. And (laughs) I can tell you right now that out of all of them, there are no good people except for perhaps Captain Sandy, perhaps Captain Lee. Maybe he was kind of a twat when it came to some issues with some guests, but Above all, one person rises to the top. The creme de la creme is Malia. I have no idea what her last name is. Okay, well, but I'm looking it up for a while. Keep and talking. The whole, the whole thing about Malia is that I genuinely think that she is trying her best in every scenario. She is trying her best. Malia White. Malia White. Of course it is because she is just so pure and. She she is always trying to find the middle of the road between what is best for her and what is best for those around her. And it gets even better because she becomes the bosun, which is like the fancy boat word for like person outside the boat boss. And sailors (laughs) hit me up with the proper definition. And, And she's like really good at delegating things and she's really good at working out conflict. And even when people are totally, totally evil to her, like this one bitch on the current season, then she still finds a way to like remove herself from the situation and wait for everything to calm down before she addresses it. And she never let leaves anything unsaid and it all just works out. And she's just really fucking great. And we should hang out and probably kiss. Nice. Somewhere out there, David Wilkin, I hope you're listening to this, uh, because I know that David Wilkin shares at least half of those feelings, because he is also called Strangmalia as his queen. Wow, really? Okay, well, you know. The two people whose opinions you respect greatly have actually called this complete stranger their queen. Right. Also, he looks like a wood nymph, which I am just fascinated by. Okay, now you've got You've got to find an image of her and put it in the show notes after she said that. Okay. Yes, yes, I, yes. So, uh, and she she pops up in Below Decks Mediterranean, starting Mediterranean. with yeah, starting yeah. with season, season two or season four. 
Like, relatively far on in the show. Okay, season four. Because, like I said, I can't watch season six. I did watch the first... (laughs) But I'm going to go looking for her. Yeah, 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 yeah. I I feel I should at least watch one one episode to see if I can understand the magic. Because I kind of do. I mean, the thing that was weird about watching Below Decks was... I found myself being very, um, because it was a reality TV show about people doing a job, and because these days I'm so locked into my job and the manager thing, but I think I always had certain work standards anyway, like, oh, yeah. like these people piss over your idea of like professionalism, right? Like, and so that was shocking. it. It's yeah, shocking. yeah, yeah. I, I, um, apparently, she's in season four and season five, Jeff. Okay. But I would suggest season five is the one you want to watch. Okay, all right. Well, I will. Maybe season, I'll give a couple of the one with the Russian chef who, out of nowhere, <laughs> like suddenly becomes amazingly homophobic to the point where everyone on the show yeah. and watching is shocked. Oh. Really. She, like she no, she did some back to back nonsense. First of all, this is supposed to be a five star like yacht thing. This is me getting way too into the show, as Graham was mentioning earlier. And you know, honestly, if I was gonna pay that much fucking money, yeah, I would want some pretty damn fine food. And mm-hmm. she was like, I throw chips on plate, and she did. She just threw some chips on a plate and melted some like basic Walmart brand Mexican cheese on top of it and said, here are nachos. <laughs> That's not good. And what? then was like, you know what? I hate the gays. <laughs> again, wow. There, no, but again, there's things that like the show won't allow, right? So as soon as, as soon as she said that, you knew that A, she was the villain of the show and B, she was not going to stay on for long. Hmm. Like you, like every, it was very clear. It was like, okay, so that's the bad guy. Mm-hmm. Oh, it was really. Graham got mad, and my gay ass was sitting on the other end of the couch cackling. <laughs> like, Graham was indignant on behalf of all the queer people, and I was like, ha 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 ha! Well, that uh, that that I think apparently sums up sums. I, I think let's let's leave it Again, on your cackling lefter. You entire dynamic with that. Yes, actually, the thing is crazy. Is we hit over the minute and a half, and we're not buzzing. So I don't know if that means that we should then try and scooch toward the exit before it starts. I, yeah, let's let's try and let's try and close it off. Okay. Right. Um, Jeff, I have a question. Yes. Are we off next week? Like, I've genuinely lost track of when we're recording them or not. Oh man, I. Also have lost track of that. And my worry... I say, because I'm looking, uh, we are in fact off next week. Uh, we are not recording next week. Uh, you tell me if I'm wrong. Next week is also Labor Day weekend. Right, which seems like a, seems like a good idea to miss. The, so the thing for me is merely if we do not record next week... Um, that means that we have to record the following three weeks to get three episodes in September. Yes. And the 18th is uh, our Edie and mine 16 year wedding anniversary. Oh, okay. In that case, let's record next week. That was easy. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Good. 
I could have just been like, no, electric or next week. <laughs> well, no, because, because I had sort of half paid attention to that and wasn't entirely sure. I mean, I knew that the 18th was a Saturday, but I was like, it can't really be that there's only four Saturdays. In, there in, are. There's only four Saturdays in, in September. Okay. So, yes. Basically, we're going to be talking through the end of time. Yeah. Yep. I hope you keep it, all this in the episode. And people Wait, what? Can't figure out how many weeks there are in a month. <laughs> that look, that happens every single month. I wish I could pretend otherwise. That happens every single month. Seriously, Chloe, I think you've recorded our new theme song because it's got points for, for accuracy. The amount of time. The thing that kills me is, like, Graham, didn't we, like, map out, like, Three months of scheduling at a go and more or less stuck to it. Welcome like, to 2021. Fucking that happened at the beginning of the summer. Right. Right. Which is over as of next week or something. Yes. Shit. Yeah, for real. We did that in like May. Oh, 2021. Oh, shit. Oh, shit. What day is it? Do, do, do. <gasps> shit, and it rhymes. That was intentional. Really good stuff there, Chloe. Just, I got to tell you, you hopefully. <laughs> You know, when they cast a net two revenge drowning boogaloo, they get you instead of Sparks to do the score. Because I haven't think... seen Annette, so please don't make uh, drowning references. Because I, well, I guess someone drowns now. Do they? Where's Jeff? Spoilers. Do they? <laughs> I know it's a same thing. it's a, it's also great that Graham, who is like all but like, you want me to spoil it for you? I'm like, no, 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 no thanks. It's like 18 years old. It's only out next week. You know, it's like suddenly I like I'm like, so yeah, Annette. You're like, not cool, man. Not cool. There's an infinite frontier spoiler I really want to give you, but I can't because it's a proper spoiler. Ah, well, um, yeah. Anyway. All of this is to say, we will be back next week. <laughs> we certainly will. We certainly will. We were heading towards like closing this up. That was four minutes ago, <laughs> which also said a lot about this show. Um, we are going to be back next week with a regular rate watch, uh, where we're going to talk more comic stuff? Question mark. Maybe we'll just do more reality shows. Who the fuck knows? Anyway, uh, before then, we uh, have an Instagram account at Instagram.com forward slash WaitWhatPods. We have a Twitter account at WaitWhatPodcasts. Jeff has a Twitter account at LazyBastid at L-A-Z-Y-B-A-S-T-I-D. I have to breathe. I have a Twitter account at Graham G-R-A-E-M-E-M. Chloe, you have a Twitter account. At PunkRockROK MomJeans. And everyone should go, because it's great. It um, is. And we are a patron supporter podcast, which means Jeff's going to talk. Yeah. Hey, everyone. I'll, I'll keep it short, in part, because we are running maybe a, a bit long. I mean, I realized partway through this, I'm like, oh, God, we did our first three-hour episode with Chloe last time. Like, <laughs> This is only just over two, but this is nothing. I know. I know. I'm, I'm sort of relieved. I'm like, of course, part of me is like, we barely talked about comics. But that's Listeners, thank you for putting up with our shenanigans. That's what I would like to say. And big, big hats off to the people at Patreon for enabling these shenanigans. Especially Empress Audrey, Queen of the Galaxy, for continuing support of these shenanigans. As well as protecting the celestial realm from our shenanigans. Graham? I love the protect of from our shenanigans. Are we damaging the celestial realm? For real? I, 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 I thought, yeah. 
I'm very impressed with that success of the case. Anyway, <laughs> we're back next week. Um, otherwise, uh, I guess I sing this out. Bye! Bye! Also, thank you so much for showing up again, Chloe. It was wonderful having you on the show again.